foggy. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hey, welcome to the Continental Writing Club. Um, I'm Amy. I'm Reagan. I'm Jane. I'm kidding. I'm Brenna. Sometimes and, known as Jane. Yeah. And we are three <laughs> ladies. Oh, my. We're ladies. I swear to God, we're ladies. Um, who write 500 words every fortnight. Yay. Based off of three prompts. One of three prompts. Sometimes two of three prompts. Have, has anybody who three have gotten all three? Oh, the indulgence. Yeah. Yeah, you did all three. three. Yeah. You yeah. know me. I like a golden triangle. <laughs> drugs? No. 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 Not a drug thing. Um, probably a sex thing. Probably. Probably. Uh, anyway, so we write based off of a, one or more prompts that we rotate between the three of us. Uh, who gives them? Uh-huh. And then we share it with you. Yeah. yeah. doesn't have to be finished. Uh, it doesn't have that. to actually reach the core of the prompt if you run out of time <laughs> and and you you have 2,000 words and you're not there yet. Guess what? It's just fine. Look, I'm sorry. <laughs> we started out as a writing club first and then moved into a podcast. So really, this is just a great way to make sure that we keep practicing writing and honing our talents and making short fiction. So if you're interested in writing along with us, as always, you are welcome to do so. Mm-hmm. If writing is not your jam and you feel inspired to do some photography or painting or sketching or interpretive, interpretive dance, dance. Interpretive dance. we're yeah. still really wanting that one. Yeah, fingers crossed on that one. Yeah, you can always uh, do that. Please share your work uh, with us. And if you're comfortable sharing it with the podcast, we will include and all the social medias with that. And you can be part of the Tangential Continental Club. Yep, working on patches. We're making, yeah, working exactly. on Because guess what? This bitch just graduated. I got free time now. Someone's getting a pen. Ooh, who graduated from an art school? She did. I got skills. Hire me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you uh, haven't been listening to the last few episodes, stay tuned this summer. We've got a really exciting um, interview series that we're working on, and we're trying to meet up with some authors that have been published, some people who teach writing, uh, who are interested similarly in the writing process, things like that, and I maybe will format them and write down their questions. You said you would. You said you'd write down questions. I lie. You know that. We should put a bunch in a hat and have it be real weird. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) We can put them in a skull. We should have the skull of questions. Skull of questions. Skull of pondering? Uh, yeah. The skull of musing. Muse skull. We'll come up with the right name for it. My (laughs) friend got me a fake skull. It's not a real one, uh, but it's a fake skull from Thailand. Yeah. It was from Thailand. Yeah, which I love. So I put questions in it. Anyway, let's do this. So we wrote some stories. Yeah. Whose prompts were it? Oh, they were my shitty prompts. I liked these prompts. This might be the one exception to the prompts that I usually do. They make good prompts. I make prompts that I find very difficult. Yeah, they hear you complain about it a lot, but I think think you've done some good prompts. I think that they've been challenging. You're such a supportive friend. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, I'm here for you. Aw, I'm also here for me. Oh, you don't have a choice in that one. <laughs> um, until you can, can finish learning how to astral project. I know you're still in rough early stages for you. Mm-hmm. Well, she's got her pyrokinesis first. She, I know you. Yeah. You've gotta you gotta Pyrotized. go through the steps. You know you have you can't mm-hmm. run before you walk. And you know pyrokinesis how, first, and you can't then astral projection before you. <laughs> exactly, guys. I'm just really working on lucid dreaming right now. Okay. So my prompts for this cycle, uh, which I read at the end of last week's episode, as per usual, because formatting, (laughs) were 
were to write a story about a physical metamorphosis, uh, to write a story using only a third-person perspective, or to write a story um, about a modern-day problem using a metaphor. So, like, all stories. And, um... <laughs> kind of like all stories. <laughs> kind of like all stories. So, let's see what we all wrote. Uh, since I, they were my prompts, Amy? Yep. I go first. You. I go first. And I have shocking news for you guys. Are you ready? Hold on. Like, <laughs> strap in because I titled this. <gasps> I can't do this. Oh this my is god! Not according to our normal plan, I'm not ready for this kind Were of. Were all of my complaints about never knowing if that was the first page or not, like finally getting through to you? No. Okay. Well, thank you for titling it anyway. Look who didn't title theirs this time, Brad. Oh god, damn it! <laughs> Just a little foreboding, <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> Um, I did title this. I, I went with uh, a metamorphosis as, as my prompt. <laughs> you just booped my foot. I don't know why. You're mid-talking and I'm just looking at my feet like, I'm going to touch Amy's foot with mine. <laughs> While she's trying to do it. Sorry. It was awkward. It's <laughs> fine. We're all very close here. <laughs> but like, just physically close, not emotionally. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Well, no, we're very emotionally close, but... Okay, it was a joke. <laughs> we don't talk about emotions. Ambulance. See what happens when you talk about emotions? <laughs> One ambulance. 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 <laughs> All right. <laughs> Why are we so giggly? Was caffeine a bad choice? No. I don't know, but now I'm... I gotta read, guys. Oh, right, right, right. Can't ha- be reading with a smile on my face. It changes the tone of the story. It does. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. not a happy one. That, are they ever for you? I'm trying to think really hard of any one happy story you've written. I think the feast one was happy. Yeah. It was just also macabre. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see that as a happy story. And the ritual one, she was quite happy at the end. Shit. Well, but the world cracked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> to understand what we're talking about, listen to previous episodes of the Continental Writing Club. Plug. On all your major podcast devices. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I like you to add voice for that too. <laughs> yeah. This story is called A Broomstick Sweeps the Corner. You just I just remember which one it was. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Happy. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I don't do happy. She used to look up all the time. Rebecca walks down the street, chin tucked down as her eyes remain firmly fixed on the sidewalk passing underneath her. Her hands are tucked in her coat pockets, and she flips a random coin between her thumb and forefinger as a distraction. A tick. A repetition. So long as her hands are busy with something. She doesn't look up when she hears laughter above her head, but her jaw tightens. Good morning, she hears from down the street, and she recognizes the voice enough to turn her head and look. After a moment, she takes her hand out of her pocket to wave for a moment before diving back in to grab the coin again. Morning, Gaz, she says belatedly. A gust of air swirls around her as the man lands, and she blows away the strand of hair that flies into her face. Gaz moves as if to hug her, but stops when he sees Rebecca retreat into herself. Still down in the trenches, eh? He asks with a laugh. It trails off as she shoots him a withering look. Sorry. How's the promotion? Rebecca asks, shifting on her feet. You got enough room? He looks over his shoulder, shrugging them. 
the wings on his back flutter. Just about. It's still a bit cramped, but there's a patio on the roof that we're encouraged to use. Stretch and all. She nods politely. That's cool. She shifts on her feet again. Listen, I'd love to catch up, but I'm going to be cutting it close as it is, so... Oh yeah, I can walk you part way at least. She bit back a sigh and gave him a wan smile. Sure. Never mind that his wings would probably result in forcing everyone to walk in the street to let him by. They always forgot what it was like once they got their wings. So, how's Terry? Gaz asks after the silence starts to become awkward. Gone, Rebecca replies, a bit curt. She's met someone at work, a, a new girl. Yeet, Gaz says. I mean, is it serious? Rebecca can feel her jaw getting sore from how tightly she is clenching her teeth. They're getting married. Oh my god, Gaz exclaims, stopping his walk and grasping her shoulder with one hand. I'm so sorry, I just keep putting my feet in it, don't I? Rebecca gives a deep sigh before gently moving out from under his hold. It's fine, she assures him. Listen, I'd love to continue this, but I really am going to be late. Gaz lets his hand fall down to his side. Okay, he murmurs. Sure thing. He backs up a bit and gives her a half wave. I'll see you later then. She waves half-heartedly as she watches him take flight. She watches a bit as he joins the others in the sky and then starts moving again. She rubs her hand against the fabric of her coat. Glancing down, she sees the specks of pale gray against the dark navy blue material. She grips the sleeve of her coat and brushes the pieces away, before moving down the street again. She nods her head to the barista as she picks up her coffee, and sees his eyes glance at her hand as she grabs the cup. She pretends not to see the sympathetic look he shoots her. Taking brief sips of the foam from her latte, she almost doesn't see the warning sign. It's the sound of sudden crunching that makes her look around. A lone shopkeeper is on the corner, sweeping with an old broomstick. The opposite side of the street is filled with passerby, but where she stands, it is only the two of them. The remains of a cordon are visible, now that she's looking around. If she had seen them before, she would never have walked over here. They don't even clean up all the way, the shopkeeper says, startling her. Used to be they'd come with a whole team, three, four people, and take every last speck away. No respect anymore, he adds, shaking his head. She swallows thickly, looking down at the ground at the flecks of gray that she can see now, apart from the concrete. The crunching under her shoes. When? She stammers out. About two hours ago, the shopkeeper said, and I'm left to clean up the remains that they can't be bothered to collect for the family. The swish swish of the broom bristles fills her ears. She can barely hear anything else. The man leans with a dustpan, getting as much of the small pile of gray fragments into it as possible before standing again. He flicks his wings to send the remaining bits spinning into the air and away. Even though almost none of it touches her, Rebecca flinches away and drops her latte. Oh, the shopkeeper exclaims, looking at her with eyebrows raised. Sorry about that. You okay? She nods, hand brushing over her face as she struggles to collect herself. The shopkeeper makes a noise, and when she looks, she can see him staring at her hand. She quickly tucks it into her coat pocket again. She doesn't know why she's still standing there. You're early stages yet, he says with a pitying smile. Don't worry. She nods, and finally her feet start to move again. Her hands itch to rub against each other, to slough off the fragments of stone that have formed and are starting to flake, to add her petrified remains to those still dancing in the eddies of air the shopkeeper's wings have created. 
She can feel her body stiffening. She no longer looks up. She'll never fly anyway. Yeah. It's very sad. It's beautifully written. Let's start there. It's beautifully (laughs) written. Uh, I don't know why that world gets stone people or wings. And it makes me sad. And uh, you add, again, that Shirley Jackson sort of a thing where it's like that. It's a looming threat. It's... in this one, though, it was a little bit more than Jackson does. Um, but you tie in sad interpersonal things into a world where you know you're going to have a sad outcome. And the main character, who you do empathize with, is going to die. And you know it. It just it sucks. <laughs> Not your story. Yeah. Story doesn't suck. But the feelings that come with it suck. Yeah. I remember being confused at first because I didn't, I didn't get that it was either or, and I, I know I asked you a billion questions after I first read it the first time, but I still love, it makes me think of a video game, for one, that, I, I don't know if either of you played the Star Ocean games, mm-hmm. there's a planet where there's like the population is turning to rock and there's a way to cure it, or there is no way to cure it. I can't remember. But either way, there are winged people and there are like lizard people and cat people. There's everything under the sun because it's a trophy game. But people turning to stone. I never really cared for that planet or those characters. I was like, man, great. Your mom can't move. She's in bed. She's turning to stone. Not interested. This is so emotional. Yeah. And it's the everyday little moments. It's can you have a conversation with your friend on the street? When I was just reading that, I did not find Gaz to be that appalling. The way you read Gaz, I wanted to punch him. <laughs> Just light him on fire. Yeah. Pinion him to a wall in an old industrial Victorian home so he can make little boy... Read last chapter. Listen to last chapter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's just so obnoxious and so oblivious. And it's like those everyday horrors of, like, it, the thing with the, um, like, not knowing where you could walk to get a, a fucking coffee on your way to work or something like that without, like, coming upon the remains of somebody else who died that they didn't clean up properly, it just, it had, like, for me, like, that same horror of, um, like, it, oh, not quite, but, like, the Holocaust or something like that. Like, just... Where are you going to come upon a sign or yeah. memory or remembrance of... Yeah, you, you... And then it makes me wonder, so how quickly does it happen? How long do you have? Does it differ? It's probably different for different people. Probably sets on, you know, faster or slower. And then do you go out into a public place in your late stages? Do you go to get your and normal cup of coffee and just so die there? Like, she doesn't even look up anymore. Yeah. Because it's like other people flying above her. That's just, it's so sad, Amy. It's so <laughs> sad. It's a very dark story. Um, that metamorphosis sucks. <laughs> yeah. I, I came at this from like three different areas. And I remember I finished writing it and I was really unhappy with it. I was really unhappy because basically what I had decided was... People who got their wings were people who met their soulmates. Oh, oh fuck. Gross. Come on. And then I was like, I hate this. I hate this so much. <laughs> and then I was like, I think I literally just deleted one sentence that referenced that. And it, and it changed the entire feel of the story. And wow. I was like, thank God. <laughs> yeah, because I think that as the premise would be, it would make me hate it. Yeah. I would still appreciate how it's written, but yeah, I like that <clears throat> there's no... 
And maybe there is still some sort of divine factor happening that we don't get to see, but... Yeah. But the idea that everybody starts off the same. Everybody starts off without, like, they're not slowly petrifying. They don't have wings. And then as you go... And it can happen at any point in time is basically what I decided, which is why it's, like, you know, Gaz maybe doesn't get that she's, like, turning to stone because it could still happen at any point in time. Right. But she knows that it's starting to happen. And she's like, she doesn't want to broadcast the fact that she she has this illness that is eventually going to kill her. Yeah. That everyone's going to look at you with those eyes. Everyone's going to see you differently. Yeah. And, and just like the inevitability of it. And then seeing, not necessarily watching it happen to someone else, but watching what happens after it's happened to somebody yeah. else. Mm-hmm. The, the, it's not blase, it's callous yeah it's disrespectful they don't even fucking clean it up properly anyway yeah yeah Yeah. so i just and there's just just no rhyme or reason to it anymore yeah it just happens and how soul crushing it must be when you're hoping for years probably that you're gonna get your wings yeah and then you start to see the stone i imagine there's a lot of suicides in that world probably Wow. <laughs> anyway, sorry guys, I'm not very happy. <laughs> the closest I get to happy is cannibalism. Cannibalism. <laughs> yeah. Strangely enough, it's cannibalism. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. So, but what what a good little short fiction. Yeah, I think it is powerful, and it is ambiguous. Yeah. So, as I do. You titled yours. No, I titled mine with the prompt idea. Oh, okay. So I just, yeah, I categorize mine. Oh, Every time. They're always like mine. But Reagan, that's me. Um, <laughs> my prompt, after that sobering experience, was also metamorphosis. Hey! hey. Uh, they changed, they died. Okay, Brenna, your turn. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is a long one. Buckle up, kids. Oh, you said strap in. I don't think buckle up. I didn't need to do that. Hers was dark. Anyway, apparently we're all on a ride. Yeah. Uh, a metamorphosis. Looking for a way to change? Read the bold text on the brightly colored card that peeked out from underneath June's converse. She plucked it out from beneath her toes and brought it into the light. The vibrant yellow color seemed almost electric to her eyes, garish even, but the typeface was somehow old and solemn, all serifs and stiff verticality. She frowned down at it. The truth was, June did want to change. What girl didn't? It didn't seem to matter how she styled her hair, what she wore, how badly she tortured herself with diets. She was never the right shape, the right size, the right color. When she looked in the mirror each morning, all June saw were the flaws. She looked nothing like the girls on her Instagram feed or her classmates in their Snapchats. Sure, if she held her phone just right and puckered her lips and tilted her hips, she almost passed for swipe right material. It wasn't even that she needed to be perfect, but just if she could just be something more than invisible. In a world where hearts and likes and reposts were all that mattered, she barely registered as having pulse. She flipped the card over, noting the neatly arranged text. It read, No problem is too large, no issue too small. All complaints will be addressed within. The holder of this card is granted one free alteration, if redeemed before sundown. Before sundown. June looked out the window. The sun was still high, barely gleaming through the clouds. It was just past noon. Looking at the card again, she frowned at the address. She thought she knew the place, or at least the cross streets, and it wasn't a great neighborhood. 
She couldn't imagine a clinic existing there. But if she left now, she might make it before sundown. With one glance at her crush, leaning comfortably in the arms of a tall, lanky, alien supermodel of a girl, June turned from the windows and headed for the doors. Lunchtime was the best time to escape the campus anyway. It took longer than she had expected to reach the shop. The school day was already nearly over by the time she located it, tucked awkwardly between two tall buildings in the shadows of the overpass. It was hardly more than the width of the door, a tiny wedge between the two tenement buildings, horribly out of place and impractical. The black-coated bricks were chipped and had seen years of tagging and recoding. Faint ghosts of old tags came to the surface here and there, making a wreath of smoke about the doorway. The door itself had once featured a tall pane of glass, but it was boarded over with plywood, which bore a thin coat of paint and an overly ornate door knocker shaped like a butterfly. She hesitated as she looked from the card to the worn numbers on top of the door frame. It was the place listed on the card. Cautiously, she tried the handle, but it didn't budge. She looked back over her shoulder, nervous at the trash-lined street and the dark underpass a block down. She could hear loud music coming from a boombox down the street, and the shouts and laughs of a small crowd of men that ringed it, discarded bottles at their feet. The sun was setting, and she didn't want to be here when things got lively. Emboldened by the potential expiration of sunset looming so near, she grabbed the knocker and clacked it against the plywood. She felt a tiny pinprick on her finger from the underside of the knocker, and she pulled her hand back quickly. As she stuck her bleeding finger in her mouth, a bell chimed high and thin from within the shop, and the door creaked slowly open. Giving the knocker a glare, June slipped into the shadowy interior and squinted at the darkness. The door swung silently shut behind her, and the dim space gradually took shape around her. It became clear that this was no clinic, not that the face of the building had left her with any hope in that regard. She now settled on a potential voodoo or pagan house. The front room was as narrow as she had expected, with fragile and precarious shelves lining either wall, and each jam-packed with odd trinkets and boxes, antiques and dead flowers. It smelled like her grandmother's attic, and it was equally as claustrophobic. A few feet ahead, she could see another space illuminated beyond a curtain bead, and beyond that, another. June picked her way through a long and cramped shop, passing one odd section after the next until she had seen every kind of dried plant and taxidermy creature known to man, and some questionable ones beyond that. After several curtain rooms, she found herself in a circular space lit solely by candles. Seated in the center was an old woman draped in scarves and bangles. Candlelight glinted off her large, watery eyes. The table before her was covered in tiny boxes and jars in varying sizes and colors, all apparently empty, as far as June could see. She looked like something straight out of a movie, and June was beginning to think she had fallen into a dumb prank. When the old woman motioned for June to take a seat at the low table between them, the air seemed to shift in the room. June hesitated only a moment under the old woman's beady stare. She looked ancient, bearing more wrinkles than not but she emanated a sharp electric energy that June found difficult to pull away from, and she certainly didn't want to turn her back on it. The old woman held out her gnarled hand and June gave her the brightly colored card. To her surprise, the words vanished from the face of the paper as the old woman took it. It had become little more than a ragged, well-worn scrap of parchment, which the woman tucked into her scarves. June tried to get a better look at it before it was hidden from view, but the woman turned her eyes on her and June felt the weight of that gaze. She opened her mouth to ask how this would work, but the old woman held up a crooked finger to keep her silent. She studied June, squinting at her from one milky blue eye and then from the other, which was almost entirely black, save for a lighter band around the edge of the iris. It gave June the creeps. "'You've come for change,' the woman croaked. It was not a question, but June nodded all the same. She felt her skin go clammy and cold. Her mother would have her backside for getting into any witchcraft nonsense, 
But now that she was there, she couldn't bring herself to leave. What if the woman really could grant her whatever she wanted most? The old woman shook her head and June frowned. You will not be happy, she croaked. Please, the card said anything? June found herself begging. You can change me, can't you? It was all ridiculous. The only change June would get was likely to be a solid grounding for cutting class. Anything you ask, I can change. You want it, you ask it. Then I give you what you need. She gestured to the various vessels littering the table. June sat up straight and her features sharpened. She could make herself into something more. Well, something. Anything but the dull thing she was. Yes, please. I need to change. I want to change. She sat rigid, watching the old woman, willing her to agree. The old woman sighed and shook her head again. You will not be happy. She took a dark stone out of a pouch hanging from her neck, and she rubbed it between her fingers and palms, turning it over and over like a worry stone. Here. She held it out to June, who hesitated, looking at the simple thing. It looked like anything she might find along a creek, but as it dropped into her open hand, it turned clear as glass and was surprisingly heavy. Hold on to it tight and concentrate on that which you want to change, the old woman said. She muttered, shaking her head, and pulled a thin square paper out of a box of playing cards. The paper was blank, featuring only a single image at its center, a small, blood-red butterfly. June frowned at it, but the woman was glaring at her again, pointing at the stone in her hand. Really focus, girl, the woman snapped. Okay, June replied quietly, turning it over in her hand. She suddenly felt horribly nervous. What did she really want to change? What one thing? June gripped the stone tightly in her fist and closed her eyes, then nodded. Okay, ready. I've got it, she said, as she thought about her skin, as dull and unremarkable as a stone had once been. She wanted it to be creamy and pale. She wanted it to catch her crush's attention. She wanted it to be worth noticing. And hold, the crone spoke with effort. The stone began to grow warm in June's hand, and she thought as hard as she could about the change she desired. As the stone grew hot and alarmingly heavy, June heard the old woman mutter, almost, but she suddenly panicked. Her mind flashed to her brothers, her father, her friends in their darker skins, in a rainbow of rich browns and blacks. What would they say when they saw her? She panicked. When the stone sparked in her hand, it was gone. What? Oh no, the stone! Her eyes shot open and she looked to the crone with worry, but the old woman was looking at the table, searching the boxes and bottles. She lifted a blue glass bottle only a couple of inches tall, capped in flimsy, stamped foil. As the woman held it up, she saw a gentle glow emanating from the thick, colored glass. Your change. The woman held out the tiny bottle for June to take. It felt so light after the weight of the stone. June looked down at it, full of anxiety. What if her last-minute panic had ruined the spell? You take this before sunrise, or it is no good, the crone ordered her, tapping the bottle with a yellowed nail. Before sunrise, June confirmed. Her heart beat wildly in her chest. First is free. Now go. The woman glared at June and shooed her away from the table. June tucked the bottle into her pocket and got up from the table. She made it to the doorway before she heard the old woman muttering, You will not be happy, she reiterated. June hurried out of the shop. She was surprised to see the son in the exact same position as when she had gone into the shop. It had felt like she had been there for hours, but it must have been no time at all. The door clattered shut behind her, and she turned to look at it, but froze. The shop was gone. There was nothing but a trash-filled alley between the two buildings, where once there had been the towering, black-brick wedge of a shop. She couldn't understand it. Where had it gone? Had it been real? She quickly checked her pocket, but there it was, the small blue bottle, glowing faintly. She considered tossing it into the alley, knowing in the back of her mind that it was unwise to mess with these sorts of things, but the glow held a quiet promise of something better, and so she slipped it back into her pocket and headed for home.
That night, illuminated by the yellow glow of her desk lamp, June picked the foil cap from the bottle and tilted it to her lips. She immediately regretted it. The flavor was horrendous, like something long steeped in molding water. The strange concoction was oily and coated her tongue and throat so that she gagged and felt her stomach heaving. She rushed to the bathroom, choking, her head spinning with a smell that filled her sinuses. She shut the door as quietly as possible, fearing her brothers or parents might hear her, and then threw herself into the sink, eagerly gargling water from the faucet. It only seemed to spread the oily coating around, and she gagged again. She began to tremble, and a burning sensation was spreading along her nerves. Panting, she steadied herself on the sink and stared into the mirror, but her vision was blurring. June doubled over at a sudden stabbing pain in her gut, and the fire in her nerves only getting worse. Her whole body felt like it was pressed against hot metal. Her quick, shallow breaths allowed no chance of crying out, and then everything went dark. When June was woken by the startled shouts of her brother, she was confused to see an entirely blackened hand resting on the ground next to her face. She tried to push herself up and shrieked when the hand seemed to be her own. Sitting up, she looked her arms up and down, horrified by what she saw. June, damn, what did you do? Her brother had lost the panic in his voice at seeing June move, but June's panic was only growing. They both looked towards the hall as they heard movement from the other rooms. Shush, 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 you can't tell anyone about this. June got to her feet and gripped her brother's wrist tightly. I'll give you my allowance and do your chores. Deal? He nodded once, pulling away from her in mild fear. Satisfied that he wouldn't snitch, June rushed back to her room and locked the door. She had to evaluate the damage. Standing in front of the mirror, she was further dismayed at what she found. Bold, black and white patches covered every bit of her skin. Symmetrical patches of white were spotted up and down her arms, with larger blotches over the rest of her. Her face was almost entirely white, contrasting with the black of her neck and hair. She'd ruined her spell. Instead of being like her brothers or her competition in the dating world, she had developed the most extreme version of Vitiligo ever. She had to find that shop again. June quickly got dressed, pulling her hoodie low over her hair, when she turned to glance at the mirror one last time, ensuring she was well hidden. She was surprised to see a neon green card stuck in the frame. Unhappy with yourself? Looking for change? The front of the card read. Angrily, June tore it from the mirror and flipped it over. One change not enough? A second might help. Returning clients may receive one discounted alteration if this card is redeemed by sundown. Discounted? How about a full refund? June huffed. She shoved the card in her pocket and quietly snuck out of the house. Once she was sure she wouldn't be stopped, she set off at a run. The shop's location had changed, but it looked just as it had before. All chipped brick and uneven paint, with the same ornate knocker. June grabbed the metal butterfly and knocked fiercely. She was startled by the pinprick bite once again and kicked the door in her frustration. The chime echoed from within and the door clicked open. June wasted no time on ambiance and pushed it open roughly. It clattered against the content of a shelf just inside the doorway. But June didn't wait to see if she had done any damage. She rushed through the anterooms, swatting strings of beads aside. When she reached the darkened alcove of the casting room, she was surprised to see a different, younger woman seated behind the table. Bottles and trinket boxes glimmered in the flickering light of the candles, and the woman smirked at June. She looked at her with a nasty glare and told June she would have no luck with customer service. I want, she began. We don't do refunds, the woman cut her off. She gestured to the seat across from her, but June stood her ground. Your grandmother messed up my spell. I want a redo. June crossed her arms and glared back. The woman's expression shifted to something between irritation and amusement. Did she now? We don't do refunds. She tapped the table, insisting June sit down, and June felt the familiar, uncomfortable shift in the air. Give me your card. We can work out a deal, perhaps. 
She watched as Dune slowly lowered herself down into the seat. She handed the card over and was not surprised this time to see the color and words fade from it. The spell is never wrong, you know. The woman busied herself with another bag full of mystery objects. The heart, though, she tisked and shook her head in a familiar way. The heart never knows what it wants. She plucked another stone from the pouch and rolled it between her fingers. It was small, no bigger than a pearl. June couldn't believe that tiny thing would fix her skin. Will that undo all of this? June shoved her sleeves up and tipped her hood back, bearing her mottled flesh to the candlelight. The woman didn't even glance at the evidence. She simply shook her head again. There is no undoing. There is only reworking. You will do another spell. Discounted, of course. The woman gave her a viperish smile, and June was certain there was no sympathy there. I don't have money, she said quietly. The woman's smile only deepened, and June finally noticed that she had the same one black eye. She frowned at her, but the woman looked away as she pulled another slip of paper from the deck of cards. I don't trade in money anyway. She studied the square of paper, which featured another blood-red butterfly, but much larger. She turned it upside down so it faced June and looked up at her. The cost will be your wings. Whatever you desire for your pretty wings. Fair? She tapped the paper and June looked from the witch to the paper and back. Her stomach nodded and she felt every bit of prey instinct flaring in her, but she couldn't just leave looking like that. And besides, she didn't have wings. The deal didn't even make sense. The woman was probably a crackpot or something, smoking too much of her own mix. Deal, June said, trying to look as mature and confident as she could. The woman smiled and nodded. Good. Now this time, think about what it is you want, not just what it is you want changed. She rolled the tiny stone in her fingers a few more times before dropping it into June's palm. June nodded and closed her fingers around the stone, which, like the other, had turned clear as glass. She closed her eyes and thought hard about what it was she truly wanted. It wasn't just her skin, after all. It was everything. She wanted... she wanted beauty. The stone suddenly burned in her hand, and her muscles felt tight, like a current was running through them. She gasped in pain as it intensified, but she kept her mind focused on what she wanted, though it was a struggle. As the woman on the other side of the table chanted something quietly, June's focus kept shifting to the image of the blood-red butterfly and to the ornate door knocker. No, she had to focus. She wanted beauty. She wanted to be light and glittering and beautiful. She gave a small shout of surprise when the stone emitted a sharp, painful spark and disappeared. June quickly opened her eyes and leaned forward, searching the contents of a table for the faint glow. She didn't have to look hard. This time, the glow was bright, despite the dark green glass of the bottle which housed it. The woman picked it up and gave it a shake, setting the glittering, gleaming liquid inside sloshing up against the foil cap. It was so much bigger than last time, and so much brighter. June held her hand out to take it, but the woman clicked her tongue and pulled it back slightly. This will not make you happy. You know that, yes? She warned June. June looked at her arms and the bold vitiligo, then glared at the woman. Happy enough. She gritted her teeth and held out her hand for the bottle. The woman shrugged and plopped it into June's hand. You must drink it before sunrise. June nodded, but the woman insisted. You must drink all of it before sunrise. You spit it up and you don't get your spell, understand? She watched June with an appraising stare until June nodded again. Right. Hope I don't have to come back again, June said brusquely as she stood to leave. The woman smiled at her, watching her like a predator. But she offered no further warnings, and so June made her way back through the hall of beaded curtains and outside. She was not surprised to turn back and see the shop gone, though it was still odd. All she cared about now was fixing her stupid mistake. She didn't even wait to get home, lest she risk her mother spotting her. She peeked around the corner of the underpass and was relieved to see it was dark and empty. 
Hopefully no one would spot her writhing in agony in the shadows, and she fully expected there would be agony. There was so much about her that needed to change, after all. Bracing herself for the triple-sized bottle, she popped the cap off and tipped it to her lips. This time, it wasn't so much the flavor of the potion that set her reeling. It wasn't really that it had flavor at all, but the sensation was like drinking glass. She nearly spit it out, but remembered the warning. She didn't want to waste this chance, for she was fairly certain she wouldn't get off with a stupid trade again. Wings. What an idiot. She quickly realized it was painful to hold the liquid in her mouth, so she started gulping it back as fast as she could. It felt like great slashes splitting her from the inside, and everything started to burn. The burning was at least familiar. Good, at least that meant it was working, she thought. Suddenly, the splitting feeling came from the inside to the outside, and her skin began to tingle. She had to hold on to the wall to keep upright as the tingle grew into razor-sharp pain. She cried out and dropped to her hands and knees, writhing, trying to find some position where the pain wouldn't be so intense. It was like the worst sunburn she'd ever experienced, and her skin grew so tight it felt like it was tearing. Something worse was growing underneath her skin, a slow, deep, bruised feeling that set her bones creaking. She could hardly breathe anymore. Just shallow gasps as the pain roiled under her surface, pushing up until suddenly she felt it break through. Horrible, piercing pain exploded on her back as it felt like her bones were shifting and pushing out of her. Her eyes were wide, but she couldn't see her own hands before her. She could hardly feel her own fingers curling tightly against the filthy concrete. Then it was done. June felt a surprising lightness and a sensation she didn't have words for, like there was some new part of her. She was aware of the cool air on her clammy skin and the gentle breeze pulling at her, lifting her. She felt the urge to flutter and opened her eyes to see a startling display of colored light everywhere. It was like gemstones glittering off of everything, and strangely, the underpass had grown at least ten times in size. The ceiling stretched so far above her she could hardly make it out. Turning her head as much as she could, still stiff and sore, she caught sight of a tip of one beautiful, shimmering butterfly wing, which fluttered weakly against her. She was dumbfounded beyond speaking. She stared at the glimmering light passing through her wings. June was only vaguely aware of the sound of heels clicking down the tunnel. Her shock was so great that she hardly was capable of registering the human form approaching her. Before she could grasp her situation, the person bent down and plucked her weakened body off the ground as easily as picking a flower. She wanted to scream, but she was so tired and sore. She wasn't even sure she had vocal cords anymore. She was dropped into the palm of the woman and brought to eye level, and the horror settled into her then. Two unblinking eyes crinkled by a smile, one hazel, one black, appraised her in familiar fashion. You should have wished for confidence instead. Would have been much happier that way. The young woman clicked her tongue and shook her head, laughing. June saw a blur of motion before she felt the woman's fingers crushing her wings against one another, and then she tugged them clean off, with a painful popping as they released from June's back. She wanted to scream, but could not. Payment received. Thanks for your service. The young woman stuck the wings in a cracked glass file and tossed June aside carelessly. The fall was dizzying, but June could hardly process anything. All she knew was darkness and pain, and the loud clicking of heels as the woman faded from the tunnel. A strong breeze rolled June over and over, and she heard the trash in the tunnel shifting around her. They came to rest together, trash and de-winged butterfly, and she caught sight of a neon-colored card just inches away. Ready to change yourself for the better, it read. Yes! <laughs> I love that story. It's also dark. It is dark. But, uh, I mean, you do a beautiful job telling it. I love that you... Thank you for finishing the story instead of just meeting the 500 minimum. <laughs> yeah, it's a couple pages long, just a couple. Yeah, it's a little bit longer, but hey, it was a really good story. And I love that 
you point out the perspective. Um, if your perspective changes, the things that you would wish for, the, the whole transition, it's all super well written. Like the smells and the textures and... And then to have the witch. I mean, like, that's classic storybook witch right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Object lesson. <laughs> I wanted her to be a little cliche. <laughs> I like that you you broached the idea of the things we'll do for beauty. And how it's it doesn't really matter what you do. You probably won't be happy because it's not how beautiful you are it's how confident you are mm-hmm. in in how you look yeah and <laughs> sorry this one makes me uncomfortable a little so why because i being white didn't want to write a black or mixed race character and then have it feel like i was speaking for someone else or putting white as better just because that's what the character saw as competition or wanted And I was writing from a place of being really pissed off at beauty standards and how ridiculous they are and how white-centric they are because of media and because of publishing and because of that is the history of things we see and that they don't apply to most people and that it's this ridiculous standard and that it's not representative of all types of beauty. So I was pissed off about that and I wanted a character that that was going to be angry at that. I mean, that's a cultural norm that we live with, though. I mean, It is, but I don't want to speak for, you know, so I was nervous to share it. Yeah. I think you did a great job. I and mean, even among black people, that's the there's a big whiteness or paler skin yeah. cultural influence there that that's supposed to be like better. And that's that's I mean, it's because of oppression and it's because of uh, yeah. a, gross parts of our culture, uh, terrible things that we're working to change. But I like that you bring that up. Actually, I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I felt a little iffy about using vitiligo because I think vitiligo is beautiful. And I always think I'm saying it wrong, so I might be. I apologize. Vitiligo. I always want to add an N. Vitiligo. Mm. Um, <laughs> but it was the closest to the way butterfly wings look to mm. me. So, um, and also is a huge, you know, point, sticking point in, I had a friend in high school who had the beginning stages of vitiligo on her arm and she freaked out about it. It was beautiful, but <laughs> yeah, I know it can be really embarrassing. It's not always, like, there's the mo- a couple models that have it and it's like, it's beautiful and yay, it's shot so well, but every day on the street it can be a little scary yeah that is an interesting one too i had uh one of my chinese teachers had it and he also would like hide it and Mm -hmm. and be somewhat embarrassed and i understand not wanting to have to answer questions about your body yeah you might be constantly wrong with yeah exactly but uh but it's one of those things i think like it's a beautiful variation Mm -hmm. in humans and i wish wish we were better at being not rude about noticing the differences in other people's bodies, yeah. but we are, it, there's a lot of pressure to conform, a lot of pressure mm-hmm. to be the one standard of beauty. There's a really good book called Beauty Myth that I would recommend. Ooh, nice. Yeah. It, it really deeply explores. I have it on my shelf. I'll lend it to you. Love it. Yeah. Um, also, never trust a witch. Ne- never trust never. a witch. But maybe. Mm. I would want to be a friend. I would just never accept anything from her. I would never make a deal. Ooh. Oh, God. Never, <laughs> yeah. ever make a deal. And then, okay, if you turn around and then the building's not there... Right? Just more like you, the card turns back into parchment. Just like take some, some clues that maybe you should not make a deal that requires no cash. That she tells <laughs> you that she, she'll take your wings and you're like, I don't have wings, but yeah. I'll take this potion. <laughs> Dumbass That's bitch. Gotta change me. Yeah. Yeah. She's a kid. She's a, she's yeah. a, a high schooler. Yeah, I read her as like 13 or 14. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, in my head I'm picturing super angsty sophomore or something. <laughs> yeah. I do have a question, though, um, and I don't know if you know this, but it's your story, so you're the only one who possibly can. Uh, does she use the card and crawl back as a fucking wingless butterfly, or does she just die? She dies. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> she dies, yeah. It's more like a bitter fuck you, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and the, I don't know if just if you pick up on this throughout, but... The witch fully is using her, right? oh, yeah. obviously. And she's using the butterfly to, like, subconsciously, mm-hmm. so that when she makes the wish, it's going to be in her mind. So for other people, maybe it would be something else, but it would be something that's going to fuck with your wish. So you were, it's rigged from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. Not gonna, yeah. She, I totally get that. She okay. reminds me <laughs> a little of um, Hollick, the, mm, yeah. the clamp series, mm. where you have the, the woman who runs a store of oddities. Mm. And people from not just our dimension or our world, but multiple worlds will end up in her shop. And she, it's not for money. And she'll, she'll give people things in exchange. And a lot of times. The barter system. There's a. A lot of times need. it's he won't be happy. Like a woman walks in and it, and it ends up like being drawn to this ring. She really wants this ring. And, and I'm not going to remember the character's name. Yumiko or something like that. She's just like, that, that's not a good idea. And the woman's like, no, I really want it. She's like, you really don't. <laughs> yeah. And like, she offers them knowing that they don't bring good things to yeah. people. Yeah. And yet, and I love it's that, like it's a balance in the world or something. Yeah, yeah. And I love that, like, that, again, classic fairy tale um, structure mm-hmm. is that, you know, like, yeah, she, it's rigged from the beginning. And yes, she's telling the girl every time she has to tell her, you know, that will make you happy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I love that. Like, here's the terms and service agreement. Yep. <laughs> it will not make you happy. Like, she's required to say it, but she knows she's going to get the hook anyway. Right. Yeah. And so I just want to reiterate, though, that I do not think white is more beautiful. I think all people and diversity is beautiful. And I think people should have confidence because confidence is sexy. And fuck beauty standards. Agreed. Fuck them and what they do to mental health in young people everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So just, and if I offended anyone, I do apologize. It is a small work of fiction. Just try. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be fine. I, yeah. Just, yeah. Just do my due diligence. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice of you. Um, okay. I'm going to read my story, which is considerably shorter. <laughs> That's good. mine was too long. Okay. Oh, shit. We just fully sang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sing song wasn't singing. Roller Coaster of Love was singing that. So which prompt did you choose? Oh, my God. You always ask. Because you always try and move past it. I do. <laughs> This is Brenna, guys. I did, um, I did a metamorphosis, I think. You think? Did I? Guys, what are my prompts? <laughs> Third Modern person perspective. Problems. Oh, yeah, Modern I did day. not. I was supposed to do that one because I find that really, really challenging. Yeah, and then, and then I, you I gave yourself like, two outs, like you said. Yeah, gave myself two outs, chose a metamorphosis. I, think, I yeah. feel confident about that now. Is this one of the only times we all three did the same prompt? I think doors. so. And then metamorphosis? What was the third prompt? The, those were all three. Third it was person. a third person perspective, metamorphosis, or a modern, modern day. day problem, do metaphor. And I did not do that. Okay. I guess I kind of did kinda modern did. day problem. You look metaphor. at you, combining. Huh. Huh. I love that. I did not do that this time. Okay. I didn't title mine. What a weird, weird cycle where you titled yours, Amy, and I did not title mine. Well, guys, we never titled. This is not new, but we exclaim about it every time. I usually title mine. Anyway, whatever. 
I'm going to start reading my story now. <laughs> this is where I would have said the title, but I did not title it. <laughs> when the horn first started to grow, Matilda didn't notice that it was the cause of her daughter's pain. She assumed it was colic. Her baby was about one and a half, adorable, of course, and she was crying about 23 hours of the day. After three days of crying like this, Matilda saw the little swollen lumps on her baby's head pushing against the skin. Then she knew. She had been holding and bouncing her, trying to distract her from the crying when she saw the horn sprouting and put two and two together. She knew then what was happening, but decided to read up on it anyway, just to be sure. She laid the crying baby down in the bassinet and went to the bookshelf. Tomes of childcare expert sage advice lined the first two shelves on the case, most of which were from her mother or other women who wanted to pass on good parenting knowledge, but didn't quite know what to say. She had read a little bit of one of them, and then she was over it. She didn't need the advice they had to offer. Then she found it. Tucked behind one of the other books, a little leather-bound book with yellowing pages and a thick, short build. She had read this little book about a dozen times and knew just where the entry she wanted to read again was. The entry was simple and direct, but written in spidery calligraphy font, so a little hard to read. Quote, Physical changes will be noticeable in the second year. Horns, wings, small spikes, and marks will present in the child. Tend them, but do not remove them, and in the third year, the baby will present other magic. End quote. She sighed and closed the book. Her baby was still crying. It was such an unhappy, painful, annoying cry. She couldn't ignore it or remove the pain, and she felt harrowed. She picked her babe back up, trying at least to let her know that she was trying to soothe her. A magical baby. A daughter with horns. This was going to be interesting, if everyone made it through. She walked to the telephone and dialed her partner. He picked up right away, almost like he was expecting the call. He always had a little bit of that about him. Like he had a five-minute heads-up that no one else got. Pete. She was using her serious tone. You should come over tonight and see if you can help with the baby. Something has happened. To her, or did she do anything. He was expecting this. She became very upset. They had talked before they ever had sex. He had mentioned that he had some fae to him and there was a chance that she might fall madly in love with him or that she might try to kill him or that she might become pregnant and that pregnancy might be accelerated to some degree. When she did get pregnant after one night of passion and fun, the pregnancy was normal and she really didn't think too much about it. But he handed her the little leather book said he'd always be available to her, and promised that now she was mother to his child, he would look after her. And now, look where she was. Her daughter's hair was swirled and curling around the horn buds. Her little face was bright red, and her crying was piercing. It's a to-her situation, she said. She wondered if it was something she could just say over the line. Okay, okay, I think I have something for the pain and the crying. In the meantime, you can give her some whiskey or hard alcohol. What? Pete... I am not putting whiskey on a rag like my grandmother. She needs medicine and probably something else. No, that won't work. He paused. Okay, so you remember how you trusted me not to name her until she was two? So just like that, this is a, a thing. But just start with like one shot and then see from there. She paused, seething a little, and then agreed. She was frustrated, but this seemed like the only solution for the moment. And that's all I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Just Love give her it. a shot of whiskey. She'll be fine. Just start with one and go from there. <laughs> fine. <laughs> Having been a rum rag baby, because I had colic, yeah. My mother was using a living, and she definitely called me rags a couple times, because that was my nickname, because I cried that much. Yep. Mm. Got the rum rag. I thought that was adorable. <laughs> and I love the idea that I could have been magical. I know. 
My magic's in my heart. <laughs> Not on my face. I like I like the warning. It's like, hey, so I got a little bit of fame so you could fall madly in love or kill try to me. kill me. <laughs> and if I knock you up, you could give birth in like a day or, yeah, you know. I, I love the idea that there's a, before we do this. Mm-hmm. So we're fully consenting. Let me just explain yeah. all of the weird shit. <laughs> I I love that. Okay, so if he had a little bit of faith in him, did he like think it's not going to be a big deal? And then after a couple things went wrong, he's like, man, I'm start making a list of things that can go wrong. She tried to kill me. Was that because it was a redhead, or was that because this is a normal thing? Like, is this me? Is it you? Is it, is it because I also slept with her sister and her brother and <laughs> Trying her to brother's out. best friend? What is the faith? What is the yeah? <laughs> really amused. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I love the idea that she's waiting for this, and then it's like. Crap, this is my daughter. This is going to be a thing. What does the book say about age five? How about 16? Because this is not normally fun. <laughs> yeah. I I want to see more of that world. Again, I feel like we're hitting on a lot of uh, fable magic stuff that's urban. Mm-hmm. Like We've brought it up. And I love the idea of them mixing together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. I feel like that story could exist in the world with my drug dealer that's a later story <laughs> keep listening for more <laughs> yeah that, i could totally see those two matching yeah well that was fun yeah <laughs> what a good little chapter yeah thanks thanks for listening guys wait wait wait, wait. promise oh yeah <laughs> tried to get out of it. look at that sleeky <laughs> right? sleeky Ooh, what are we gonna write about sneaky and slinking i guess sleeky <laughs> sleeky are you ready yes give us to more. rumble all right i am ready to write well, I'm mildly I'm prepared. I'm, I'm probably going to get some beer before I write, <laughs> so like mildly prepared to write. Okay. But what will I be writing about? So the prompts for next cycle. A person goes to fix an event by time traveling, only to discover the event happened because they had already interfered. Whoops. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> or a wish granted goes horribly wrong. I already did that one. <laughs> <laughs> Or, the only way to relieve an intense pain is to do something really awkward and or illegal. All right, that's going to be fun. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for tuning in, and we will hopefully see you in, we won't see you, we, you know, we'll be here in a fortnight. Listen more. We'll be here, you find us. (laughs) (laughs) And please continue to write on. There's a reason we're this way, kid. There's a reason. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. <laughs> so help me. There will be a need for an ambulance soon. And the cat goes into a closet. Yes, thank you. I have to say it. Heaven, come on, sunshine. Uh... <laughs> You're who I get it from. <laughs> yeah. Splash. <Woo>! Splash. <laughs> a roller coaster of <laughs> love. I do not like that sentence. Hold on a second. She could hear loud things. <laughs> were they airplanes? They were not. But you know what? Assholes. Stop flying through open airspace. Air earlier and gotten that but awful it, moment. But it did not. It did not.